firing zone, and execute judgments on Thebes. I will pour out my wrath on Sin, the stronghold of Egypt. I will also cut off the hordes of Thebes. I will set a fire in Egypt. Sin will writhe in anguish. Thebes will be breached, and Memphis will have distresses daily. The young men of On and of Pi-Bethseth will fall by the sword, and the women will go into captivity. In Tehaphnesus, the day will be dark. When I break, when I break there the yoke bars of Egypt, then the pride of her power will cease in her. A cloud will cover her, and her daughters will go into captivity. Thus I will edu- execute judgment on Egypt, and they will know that I am the Lord. All right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Glad you said that. But you know what this reminds me of? What? Break the key to the Lord. <laughs> Break the key to the Lord. You had a hard boy sermon yesterday. Well, oh, really? It was something. Uh, really? Imprecatory psalms. Yeah. Imprecatory prayers. And how we should be outraged at things. Well, first of all, he, at our last or the one before that prayer meeting, he had been asked to do an imprecatory prayer. And it was... Took everybody's breath away. It was heated. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was great. I mean, I've never heard anything like that, ever. I must have missed that. You the revelation, me. when we had the revelation. Ah, ah, okay. Do you remember? I wasn't at the Revelation Club because oh, I didn't get back You really in time. did miss it. It was good. I kept thinking of that during it. But it too. Yeah. Well, I want to hear his imprecatory prayer. Nobody taped that, did they? Yeah, they did. I want to hear that. I bet they did. And I, bet, I think they taped the sermon yesterday. I would like to hear those. You know, we we need to do more of those. We did do an imprecatory prayer a while back, and Brad did it, Boyd's son-in-law, and it was really good. It's been a while. I'll, been I'll try to ask Mike. But it was good. It was like, yeah. wow. That's yeah, it pretty made sharp. you think. It made you think. But he even had a song for you know, <laughs> uh, unto thee, O Lord. He said, break their teeth, O Lord. Right in the middle of the sermon. And that was like the high point. And then, I mean, yeah, it was very serious before it and after it. And then he ended just, I mean, absolutely. It was powerful. It was. It really was. And he generally does not do that. Yeah. Yeah, his sermons yeah. are so thoughtful and just, you know, you think about them as good. Right, but they're low-key. I would love that because I really do think we need more of that. I definitely think we do. And we see it all through the Bible. We went through the Psalms. And we do not have the outrage we ought to have. And, and it is hurting us because we compromise on everything. We don't have a we don't have a sense of something being abominable. You know, that that would be really helpful. Boyd's good with. I mean, he's Boyd is so willing to follow the Bible even when it doesn't fit the tradition, and just whatever it's in there, he'll take and do. That's really cool. That this makes me want to write an actual imprecatory hymn. Do it. It would be it would be interesting to see what do it. that would work out to be. You know, the, uh, there aren't many. I mean, there's a couple that are sort of slightly, but not really. Now, the one I don't. This isn't exactly imprecatory, but it scares the living daylights out of you. Is the one that Craig Roberts wrote. That's in. Uh, it, that's in the. I think it's Craig Roberts that wrote it. That's in. Um, R.J. Stevens' uh, newer books, where you see the, the, the damned, you know... Let us come before, locked beneath the door. Yes, yes. Father, let us see oh. his death. 
Yeah. That was horrible. Have you never heard that one? It's, it's in hymns for worship. It's in, it's in the back, and it's it's a two. It's one of the short ones. It, it, it's got the tune is about as what's it's the a word? minor key. Macabre is, is macabre yeah. the word? It, macabre. Work. I don't know how you pronounce that. It's just a very and and one of the stanzas. It's like whoa! You can hardly sing it. It's terrifying. Strong. Oh wow! I, it's like whoa. It, it, every once in a while, you have some of those things that, you know, I look and think probably need to think along that line more. I don't really like the song. You know, it's like, wow. Yeah. Have you sung it before? Yeah. yeah See, I it. like it. I like, no, but, but I like that. But yeah. do you agree it's really terrifying? Yeah, actually. I mean, how does it go, sir? We have the I'm not. I'm not entirely sure at the moment. Um, we have a book. I don't think I have a revised edition of Hence for Worship. But we somebody use it like the Aeon, really. Yeah, but somebody yeah. took ours, so okay. I think we don't. I was going to say, do you, ha do you have just a regular Hymns for Worship? It needs to be the revised edition. It is in the revised? It's not in the revised I don't think no, we don't have the revised edition. No, we don't. But Kelly has it. Beneath the door? What's it? Locked, the, the, some, the locked beneath the door, that oh, phrase is. Oh. We have a revised one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's four. Is it like 47? That's probably not right, though. <laughs> that would make more sense. It's, it's in back in there somewhere. It's either Father, let us see his death, or oh, Father, let us it is. We shall come before the throne. That's what it is. We shall come before the throne. This reading reminded me of that. We should take much to remind me of that sermon, though, last night. That kind of stays with you. Uh, I guess so. Uh, I wonder. We shall, we shall stand before the throne. Yeah, let's sing it to us. If you want to. Uh, we'll read first. Okay. And then I may turn into singing. We shall stand before the throne, stand with all but stand alone. Face at last the aged one, God is holy, bow before him. We shall see the vindicated son, hear him say, depart, well done. Judgment sure for every one, Christ is holy, listen to him. On his left the doomed implore, but are locked beneath a door. There they burn forevermore, God is holy, love and fear him. But the faithful on his right, wearing crowns and garments white, sing forever in his sight, holy, holy, thou art holy. Haven't we sung that? I think we have. We shall stand before the throne. Stand, stand with all that stand alone. Face at last the aged one. God is holy, bow before him. It's definitely a minor key. Yeah, it's yeah. It, definitely. But that, that, that third verse is, whoo. Yeah, instant. Yeah, yeah oh man. So. <laughs> but, I mean, you do realize, I mean, you do feel like that the fact that we do avoid so much the conflict and the hatred of sin and even thinking about the terrible punishment hurts us. You know, God put those things in there because he knew we needed that. We need to have a sense of justice and outrage. We need to think about the both sides of that. And we've almost shaped God the way we want him to be 
just sort of looking at only one side of him because we don't want to see that other side. And, you know, that's really, I'd be eager to get Boyd's tape and and also to hear his prayer. That would be really helpful. Yeah, putting the two of them together would make a nice Christmas present. (laughs) 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 This year, Gary, was easy. I had more things than I knew what to do with. Really? (laughs) Give me something to get. He's not cheap. He's like Chris, but... He might like got, one of those. I things. think he'll like one of I have. Ooh, I need to get something to get huh? Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't ever want anything, you know. No, you want this. That's fine. I'll probably, but. <laughs> Anyhow, we are back to 13 to 19 talking about Egypt. And uh, it is a pretty powerful statement of what God would do. You might notice all the first person singular pronouns. God is the one doing this. And look at 13. What's he going to zero in on? Idols and images. The false religion, then. They're gods. And also, the prince, which would represent the government. You take the gods and the government, those are the pillars of Egyptian society. And God was going to take those away, destroy them, put fear in the land of Egypt. He um, describes the devastation of the land by citing the names of many specific Egyptian cities, cities that we no longer know much about and have no idea how to pronounce, although I thought Sarah did quite well with that. And uh, But it makes it more vivid, especially to anyone who knew those cities. Uh, he's going to make a systematic destruction of Egypt from one end to the other and it's going to be painful <laughs> it's going to be bad it's going to be dark and uh, he, uh, he he talks about uh, Thebes and and especially which was a major Egyptian city Memphis was as well and then other minor cities but this is the judgment God's bringing on Egypt in the day of the Lord comments and questions where my chiasm was. Tell me. Show me. It's cool. It's in verse 13, there's not. And then in verse 14, there's no. And then verse 15, there's sin. And in 16, I mean, the end of 15, there's no. And then 16, there's not again. Alright, and you've got different than what we've Say got. Say that again. Yeah, I'm not getting <laughs> anything. I'm saying Memphis, Pathros, Zone, Thebes. Not Zone. Or sin, Thebes, sin, Thebes, Memphis. Okay. You're saying Memphis. It's probably not. Thebes, sin, Thebes, Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. But you got two Thebeses in there. Well, wait a minute. Two sins. Oh, how do, all right. Memphis, Thebes, sin, Thebes, sin, Thebes, Memphis. No, I mean, no. Yeah. Okay. Thebes, uh, sin, Thebes. Say it again, Ariel. Hang on, let me find it where I actually read it. Memphis, Thebes, 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 Memphis. Yeah. Memphis, Thebes, Sin, Thebes, Thebes, Memphis. You got a sin in there, you missed. I said it. Memphis, Thebes, Sin, Thebes, Sin, Thebes, Memphis. Thebes, Sin, Thebes, Sin. Yeah. yeah. So an A B C B C B A. So it's A B C. It's a key. Yeah, there may be something to that. 
Uh, I'll buy that. No, we don't have that. I understand what I was reading. Yeah, we do. I don't get it. Is yours? What are you reading? NKJV. Okay. Then look at verse um, 13. You've got Memphis. Then down in 14, you have Thebes. 15, you have Sin, and then Thebes. Then in 16, you have Sin, Thebes, Memphis. You're just taking those places. The way Memphis, she's doing. Memphis, Thebes, Sin, Thebes, Sin, Thebes, Memphis. So it really is a kiss. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. I like it. Look at incantation. Other comments and questions? Oh, yeah, like nothing, though. I have no in my. Yeah, you got the NKJV. For the city names? Yeah, no. No and no. Because we have that in our margin. At least I do. Oh, I do too. I have the other one, but no. I don't have the other one. The themes is also no. Yes. It's for Lucy in there. You didn't know that, did you? What? Honestly, I'll put him on the Heliopolis. Yeah, that's it. The city of the sun. Yes. Alright, uh, the uh, fourth oracle, uh, 20 to 26. Now, was this an oracle by itself? No, it started in 1. 1 to 19 is the third oracle. The fourth one is 20 to 26. In the eleventh year, in the first month, on the seventh of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and behold, it has not been bound up for healing or wrapped with a bandage that it may be strong to hold the sword. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against Pharaoh king of Egypt, and will break his arms, both the strong and the broken, and I will make the sword fall from his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations, and disperse them among the land. For I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, and put my sword in his hand, and I will break the arms of the Pharaoh, of Pharaoh, so that he will groan before him with the groanings of a wounded man. Thus I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, but the arms of Pharaoh will fall. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. When I scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands, then they will know that I am the Lord. This is about three months before the Babylonian army broke through the city walls of Jerusalem. And what has God done here, first of all, in 21? Broken the arm of the... He broke Pharaoh's arm, and what happened to the arm after it was broken? It was left weak. Yes. It was not... It didn't properly. It didn't receive adequate medical treatment. It was not bound up or wrapped... Uh, and so it wasn't going to be worth anything. One going to be able to actually use a weapon because it had not properly been set back. Um, it's interesting that one of Pharaoh Hofra's titles was possessor of a strong arm. <laughs> uh, well, did that coincide? I think at least very close to this time, if not exactly this time. And that was one of his names? Uh -huh. The same one that this happened to? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, need, I should have gone back and looked up the exact dates well, of Hofra. What's his name? Hofra, H-O-P-H-R-A. And what's 
that's not what it means, it's just one of the titles he used. The Egyptian pharaohs had lots of titles, but he used, one of the titles he used was possessor of a strong arm. So, that might, uh, we don't know, I mean, sometimes you know about those things, but you don't know if that was exactly what precipitated this, but it would be cool if it was, if that was well known that he was known by that, then this is interesting. But then, so you've got Pharaoh with a, a badly, uh, you know, a badly injured arm that was that never healed back properly. And then in 22, what does the Lord do? Does more arm breaking. Yeah. God wasn't finished with him yet. For good measure, God breaks the arm again and the other one to boot. So now he's got both arms broken. He can't do anything. And all the while God was breaking Pharaoh's arms, what was he doing with the arms of the Babylonian king? Yeah. And so, uh, guess what? Babylon's going to uh, be victorious. And really what God was trying to do through Ezekiel was to uh, fracture the false hopes of the exiles as to Egypt's help. Egypt wasn't going to be able to help. Egypt didn't have any arms left to help. That's what, you know, God's trying to show to them. Uh, And actually the Babylonians were going to scatter the Egyptians. God is the one in charge. I don't know if there's anything to this. It's interesting to think about how maybe uh, God would have strengthened the Babylonians' arms. Uh, You can think about them coming through and destroying nation after nation, gradually gaining power. I guess we can see that Jerusalem or Israel would have been one of those nations that God was giving into Babylon's hands, strengthening their power. And at the same time, Egypt, we see them constantly just kind of falling on power. And God is just, Babylon's just coming through, getting stronger. And when they reach Egypt, Egypt's going to be broken twice. And God is going to annihilate them. Mm-hmm. Good point. So who's responsible for the strengthening and the weakening of the nations? It's the Lord. You know, they don't recognize that, but that's the truth. Other comments? All right, Oracle number five is a little bit more um, different. Ask it. It says, I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands. Were the Egyptian people, like, carried away like the Israelite Judah? I, certainly, I don't think they were to the same extent. And I don't know that we have much historical information about this. Presumably, this was fulfilled, and so some of them were, but I don't think we can... As far as I know, we can't confirm that. There was, well. like, a mass exodus right. that we're aware of. Oh, that's kind of funny when I think about it. But anyways. Yeah, it is a little, considering the fact that it's Egypt. But yeah. The Freudian slip there. Alright, um, but this chapter 31, this fifth uh, basic judgment oracle, is it's quite a bit different in how it uh, develops here. And uh, there's actually a rather significant interpretation question about this as well. But uh, look at 1 through 9 of 31. 
In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his hordes, Who are you like in your greatness? Behold, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon, with beautiful branches and forest shade, and very high, and its top was among the clouds. The waters made it grow, the deep made it high, with its rivers it continually extended all around its planting place, and sent out its channels to all the trees of the field. Therefore its height was loftier than all the trees of the field, and its boughs became many and its branches long, because of many waters as it spread them out. All the birds of the heavens nested in its boughs, and under its branches all the beasts of the field gave birth, and all great nations lived under its shade. So it was beautiful in its greatness, in the length of its branches, for its roots extended to many waters. The cedars in God's garden could not match it, the cypresses could not compare with its bough, and the plain trees could not match its branches. No tree in God's garden could compare with it in its beauty. I made it beautiful with the multitude of its branches, and all the trees of Eden, which were in the garden of God, were jealous of it. Alright. This is another um, oracle to Pharaoh and uh, the, his, his hordes. And we are comparing Pharaoh to something. There is a question mark about the something. I'm wondering if even our translations reflect that. Uh, the New American Standard is, uh, we compares it with Assyria in 3. Does the New King James also probably does? Mm-hmm. Anybody got the NIV? It does. It does also? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. I think Assyria is right. There's a significant minority who thinks he's comparing Egypt to a cypress tree. But, uh, because there's only one consonant different uh, between Assyria and a cypress tree in, in Hebrew. But... But Assyria is what's in the Masoretic text, and I think is probably correct. And it's not at all uncommon that you might compare one nation to another nation. A comparison of Egypt to Assyria is especially relevant because where was Assyria at the point Ezekiel prophesied this? What had happened to Assyria? Because of... So, if the Babylonians can conquer Assyria, that great and powerful nation, who's to say the Egyptians will are any better or will fare any better in this judgment? So, I think it's very appropriate that we would compare uh, Pharaoh to the Assyrians. Um, and and and, but this is kind of a double comparison. We're comparing Pharaoh to Assyria. We're comparing Assyria to what? A a tree. Now, does that remind you of anything? Is it unusual to compare a nation to a tree? Yes? In my opinion, it is. Are there other parallels? Are there times when nations, what? Uh, Daniel, when God parallels uh, Nebuchadnezzar with a tree. Yes. Which chapter of Daniel was that? Three. Four. Four. Yes, Daniel 4. Very good. One of those three. Yeah. And do you remember any other uh, comparisons of nations to a tree? Look at Isaiah 10, interestingly. It's going to be about shoots out of dry ground. Can I ask a question to make sure I'm understanding He's comparing them to Assyria, who he's comparing to a tree. That's it. You got it. (laughs) So far, so good. 
He wanted the Assyrian connection because you see that they fell. Yes. And then he wanted the tree connection to get the tree connection. Yeah, because the tree's a really powerful image here. We'll see that as we go through this. But if he'd have gone straight to the tree, you might have missed that Assyria was the powerful nation that fell. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Makes sense in my head. Yeah, well, that's kind of scary, but... (laughs) Alright, Isaiah 10, starting with verse 5, is about Assyria. And uh, if you come down to verse 33, I think we're still talking about Assyria. Behold, the Lord, the, the God of hosts, will lop off the bows, bows, I guess, with a terrible crash. Those also who are tall in stature will be cut down. Those who are lofty will be abased. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. Which sword is that? That's, Which verse is that? That's 33 and 34. Uh, Isaiah 10. Isaiah 10, verse 33 and 34. Yes, precisely. That's the, that's the contrast. God cuts down the Assyrian forest, but he gives new growth to his people. That's the, that's the context in Isaiah. So, that's interesting because Assyria itself there was being compared to a forest. Just as Nebuchadnezzar had been in Daniel 4 as James pointed out. Now, so Assyria is what kind of a tree in Ezekiel 31? A cedar. And how is this cedar doing in this first part? Yes. Oh, it's it's got, you know, streams that nurture it. It's got beautiful branches. It's, uh, you know, just as tall as can be. The birds enjoy it. It's... Uh, well, how gr- how wonderful was this cedar tree? I love verse nine. The, yeah, no, it, the trees of Eden were jealous of it. <laughs> this is just a mythically great tree. It's it surpassed all earthly proportions. No tree in God's garden could match it. I have a question. Ask it. We wouldn't. Why does he use the cereal? We wouldn't view Assyria, I guess, as, like, the greatest superpower ever. I would have used, like, Babylon or something like but that. But Babylon hadn't fallen yet. He's wanting to use one, I think, that's already been conquered, and of the ones who've already been conquered, I think Assyria is Exhibit A. Okay. Yeah. I think that's the point. And uh, notice, um, in verse 9, why was it that Assyria became such a beautiful tree? Yeah. The prosperity, even of the wicked, is in the final analysis due to God's grace and mercy. It is God that has given them the blessings they have. Of course, it's God who takes away those blessings. So Assyria had been just the greatest cedar tree you could ever imagine. Every bit as good as Egypt. Comments and questions through nine. For some reason, I'm thinking of a children's song, but I can't think of the words. Like, prettiest bug you ever did see. And the green grass grows all around. Yeah, we did that one. Yeah. Didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> it's it good that I didn't know that one. I, yeah, it, it gets in your head. It's it's not a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a tree. 
<laughs> the branch and the tree and the tree and the hole in the hole in the ground and the green cuts grows all around. Is this is this intended as a spiritual song? Oh, no, it's, it's a party song. song. Wow. It's a Girl Scout song too. It's a party before Barney. Yeah. 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 And that's gonna break on a limb. And there's an egg in the nest. And then the egg cracks. And then there's a chip. There's a tree in the tree and the hole. There's the the mite on the feather, on the wing, on the bird, and the egg in the nest, on the twig, on the branch, on the limb, on the trunk of the tree, on the root, in the hole, in the ground, and the green. Oh, round of There we go. Let's talk about him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, this this is just showing the the greatness from a worldly perspective of Assyria. You would think, with a nation this great, with a cedar this lofty and majestic and beautiful, that nothing could ever happen to it. Uh, that's what you think. Do you have comments and questions tonight? It's interesting just talking about logging. Uh, the best, the trees that get, get cut down are the biggest and best, always. Um, it's interesting to see that. That God waits. He doesn't destroy nations when they're small and insignificant. He waits till they've grown large and big. And where they're actually useful for something, and that's when he cuts them down. That's an interesting point. Anything else? And you look at this tree, and it's from top to bottom, it's well founded and everything. You know, the roots extend not just to water, but to many waters, mm -hmm. different places, and they go down deep. And it's a nice foundation, and everything looks good. It reaches up and up and up and out, and it's a very good tree. Does anybody have a different translation in verse 8 for the plain trees? Uh, probably, because I don't yes. have the plain tree. Oh, yeah, I do too. The cedars the cedars in God's garden could not match it. The cypresses could not compare with its boughs. And the plain trees Chestnut. could not match Chestnut. it. Chestnut. Chestnut. Okay. I'm not sure what a P-L-A-N-E tree would be other than... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's it. Or maybe it doesn't have anything on it. It's a spelling, but... Well, that would, you know, not even a plain tree can match its branches. Definitely not. Okay. Uh, how about uh, 10 through 18? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have increased in height, and it set its top among the six boughs, and its heart was lifted up in its height. Therefore I will deliver it into the hand of the mighty one of the nations, and he shall surely deal with it. I am driven it out for its wickedness. And aliens, the most terrible of the nations, have cut it down and left it. Its branches have fallen on the mountains and in all the valleys. Its boughs lie broken by all the rivers of the land, and all the peoples of the earth have gone from under its shadow and left it. On its ruin will remain all the birds of the heavens, and all the beasts of the field will come to its branches, so that no trees by the waters may ever again exalt themselves for their height, nor set their tops among the thick boughs, that no tree which drinks water may ever be high enough to reach up to them. For they have all been delivered to death, to the depths of the earth, among the children of men who go down to the pit. Thus says the Lord God, 
In the day when it went down to hell, I caused mourning. I covered the deep because of it. I restrained its rivers, and the great waters were held back. I caused Lebanon to mourn for it, and all the trees of the field wilted because of it. I made the nations shake at the sound of its fall, when I cast it down to hell together with those who descended into the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all that drink water, were comforted in the depths of the earth. They also went down to hell with it, with those slain by the sword, and those who were its strong arm as well in its shadows among the nations. To which of the trees in Eden will you then be likened in glory and greatness? Yet you shall be brought down with the trees of Eden to the depths of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised, with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, says the Lord God. Alright. Um, look at 10. And I think you can see the reason for God punishing Assyria. Why? Its heart is haughty in its loftiness. The Assyrians had an ego to match the might of their empire. Which is often what happens. It's like a Tower of Babel. Yes. And like uh, Herod, and the voice of a god and not of a man, and like Nebuchadnezzar, isn't this not Babylon the Great, which I have built by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty, and so forth and so on. Like Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I think we're in the midst of it. In the midst of a turning point like this. This overconfidence, this self exaltation, the haughtiness, and the feeling that nothing can touch us. You know, we are the masters of our own destiny. Is, wow, the Lord, we won't stand for it. And I even think we ought to think about how churches sometimes feel that way. You know, we can get to feeling like, you know, we're just kind of the greatest and the best, and or, or, or as individual Christians. You know, we, we begin to, to see ourselves as better than everybody else and, you know, kind of haughty about it. Um, it doesn't really make any difference who it is or what organization. Those that become proud fall. Pride goeth before destruction. So because of this haughtiness, therefore I will give it into the hand of a despot of the nations. He will thoroughly deal with it. Because of the pride, God is going to destroy the nation. And, uh, you know, you see God as sort of the cosmic lumberjack that comes through and wipes out whatever tree is offending him by the pride. And, uh, wow, that's, that's going to be bad. Uh, because the tree, when it's cut down, it's all just laying there on the ground. And... Uh, can you see a reason? Obviously, God wanted to punish Assyria, but why else did God want to destroy the Assyrians? Say that again. Why did? Why else did God want to destroy the Assyrian cedar besides just to punish Assyria? To use them as an example. I think so. Look at verse fourteen so that all the trees by the waters may not be exalted in their stature. You know, they, he, he's using them as a, an object lesson for the other trees to learn the warning. You don't want the same thing to happen to you that happened to Assyria. 
we need to learn the lesson. We don't want the same thing to happen to us that happened to Assyria. We need to humble ourselves. Always give the credit to God. And, and, and be more sober in how we look at ourselves. We are not nearly as independent, not nearly as, you know, great as what we think we are. We're so, well, we're so warped in our view of those things sometimes. All right, comments and questions through 14. What is this uh, Like a tyrant. Correct? Uh-huh. Well, I read the dictionary. What are all the animals doing in verse 13? Um, well, I think they are sort of uh, camping out on the fallen branches of this tree. Come <laughs> a resting place of beasts. Yeah, I mean, because it was a big tree, so it's still covering lots of territory, just having to be on the ground. <laughs> Interesting. Um, does the trees by the water have anything? To, is that anything significant? I mean, I guess the trees that have the ability to grow powerful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A tree by the water is is going to be stronger and, you know, more I mean, Because I guess vibrant. you see trees by the water and you see other trees that don't ever really grow very big. Right. So, I think there's nations that don't get ever get very powerful. <coughs> but Assyria is an example of the ones that can attain power. To watch yourself and make sure you do not grow proud. Absolutely. I mean, there is great danger because, for example, of America's power and prosperity. There's great danger with churches that do well and individuals that feel very competent and powerful and whatever. Um, So often, any sort of blessing leads us to do what doesn't make sense to be proud instead of be grateful. That that we, we make a disjunction there. I think we fail to recognize God as the source. You know, we might theoretically say it, but in practice, we pretty much glory in ourselves that we've pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps to whatever level. As we said. So where, in fact, does uh, this cedar tree go? Goes down to Sheol. That's right. Uh, and the place where all the trees go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Including that one. I was going to say, <laughs> the tree where all the Or is it afraid of those? <laughs> <laughs> Fear in the heart of the tree. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't, uh, couldn't have timed that any better. Though. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, and you know, what a come down. Um, because, really, when you go to Sheol, there's no big shots in Sheol. They're all just kind of down there in the, in the grave. Um, there is there is something that I read. I have not yet checked this out. You all can uh, think about this and check it out. Maybe it's true that really in the Old Testament, righteous people never are pictured as going to Sheol. I'm not sure if that's true. I read that recently. So you might 
you'd never do a Sheol study, see if it would be correct to say that Sheol was always presented as the destiny of the wicked, never as the destiny of the righteous. What David was in Sheol? Well, he talks about his son. Soul. Well, he often talks about himself being rescued from Sheol. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that wouldn't prove he was in it. No, it's like he doesn't. God doesn't keeps him from going in. That's not my picture being rescued yeah. from. It. No, that's not my either. Oh, I understand. It's like you're starting to go down from the end. Well, you're actually you're at a you're at the edge of the black hole. Well, but he didn't literally die. Okay. So it was still a bad thing. You might look at a passage somebody referenced, and this is interesting. I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I, I, that's just something to throw out for you to study. Uh, but look at Psalm 49. This was the passage they referenced, I think, <clears throat> verses 14 and 15, and this is interesting. This is talking about the rich, the proud rich. As sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning, and their forms shall be for Sheol to consume, so that they have no habitation. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. So that seems to indicate a difference, the ones who are appointed for Sheol, versus the ones who are redeemed for Sheol. Abraham talks about himself being Sheol. Does he? Yeah. Uh, Genesis 37, 35. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down to Sheol to my son morning. Yeah, that would be Jacob, but. Uh, yeah, Jacob. <laughs> and he <laughs> said, My son shall not go down with you. This is Genesis 42 38. For his brother is dead, and he only said, Far befall him by the way in which he go. Then will ye bring down my great hairs with sorrow to Sheol? Maybe, that may be. So, Jacob, what was the end of that? Uh, that's Genesis 42:38. I've got a similar idea, but not the word Sheol in Second Samuel 12, where David is talking about the the child. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And I was thinking there was one version of that that was more. I don't know. You might still consider some of that. I'm not sure exactly. Uh exactly where that's at, but at least I think there are some passages where Sheol is presented more as the destiny of the wicked. Yeah, in Ezekiel, is that what you're asking? See, mine says hell. Oh, it should be Sheol in 3216, 30, uh, Mine makes a distinction a lot. Like all the verses that you were just pointing out, mine always said the grave. But I think it's the same word. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So mine looks hand blue, so funky. Yeah. My version is kind of funky. Yeah. Um, so, this, this does have significant repercussions, but now he comes back to give the lesson in verse 18. To which among the trees of Eden are you thus equal in glory and greatness? Yet you will be brought down with the trees of Eden to the earth beneath. You will lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those who were slain by the sword. So is Pharaoh and all his hordes. After telling all this about Assyria, then he says, you are the man, Pharaoh. This is what will happen to you. You will not spare differently than what Assyria did. Assyria had more or less been God's model of humbling the self-exalted. And that's what will happen to Pharaoh.
So that's a pretty, pretty powerful picture. Comments and questions? This isn't really important, but I don't understand why the other trees, like, did some of the other trees go down the shield with it? Yeah, all the trees go down. All of them? Well, like all the well-watered water. trees have eaten. All the trees of the field wilted away. Yeah, why did that happen? Because well, I thought it was just Assyria who No, but, but I, you know, you've got plenty of other lesser nations and trees that have already gone to the grave as well. Now, this is the destiny of all the trees, I think would be the idea. Okay. Okay. And then why were the trees mourning for it? Oh, well... Uh, just because the terrible demise of this great cedar. But the point of the mourning is there's a reason to mourn. This tree has mm-hmm. been felled. Just kind of like with Babylon, I guess, in Revelation 18, where all the merchants That's kind of the same thing. Yeah, and there's a lot of prophets where there's a lamentation. And the lamentation is just to indicate that uh, the nation has been destroyed or whatever. Um, in like Amos 5.1, hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. He sings a funeral song. Mm-hmm. Other comments and questions? If you were talking about verse 15... God causes the tree to go down and then closes the deep over it and holds back the rivers and part of the mourning is because the waters were stopped up and so the lifeblood of the trees I suppose you could say the trees of the fields wilted away presumably because the waters were also stopped so that may be completely irrelevant but you know that's nothing new for me. <laughs> oh, you yeah, have good comments. Other comments? Well, when any great nation goes down, there are usually other nations that depend have depended on it for protection or commerce or other things. So when one great nation goes down, there are usually others that go along and or at least born for it. So that's what I thought. That is a good point. I think that's that is accurate. Um, why? Uh, Egypt. I don't know. For some reason, at this time, I don't really see them as a superpower. It's it like when they had Israel in captivity, things like that. But well, how are they a superpower at this time? They were thought of that way. I mean, they were the other side of the world. You know, you had Egypt versus Assyria, Egypt versus Babylon. They were ancient. They were powerful, theoretically. I mean... They had a bigger army. Yeah. But they had been brought down by this point. But they had been bigger, right? Well, they are not as powerful as they used to be, probably. I don't know if they realized that. So you would say that there was always two superpowers, but usually the one north was the dominant superpower. Well, yeah, maybe in the last few years. I mean, centuries before, Egypt was stronger than anything, perhaps. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think historically, historians would view Egypt as a, as the other, other main country. 
I think you're right. Yeah. But the reputation is slow to die. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Map. Oh. Egypt is down here, right? Yeah. And you've got Israel and Judah yeah. here. Assyria and Babylon are up here. Mom, are you yeah. going by what you're looking at or what Uncle Gary's seeing? I'm not even looking at this. Yeah, he's, he's, she got it backwards to her, doesn't she? Side, so, okay, here's the Mediterranean. I'm on the wrong side. Yeah, look, look that one. Okay, so here's okay. the Mediterranean. Egypt's down here. Israel's Egypt's here. Egypt's on your lower left. Uh, Assyria's up here and Babylon's over here. Okay, I did have it. You had and it. Assyria's on your upper right. Because I didn't think that she was but I have <laughs> So you have Egypt, give her credit for and Assyria and Babylon. Like and there's a buffer. I didn't think she'd be able to That's what the question was. It was Assyria that was north and Babylon was sort of there. Yes. Uh, Assyria wasn't super, super north. They're still northeast, uh, you know, quite a bit east also, but Babylon was on down south. East of Assyria. Someone's purse is by here. You're going to raise it. I'm not me. Not me. Is that purse? That little black purse right there. You're an important person, Sarah. We're impressed. Is it a boy? No, no, I'm figuring it has a few different concerts tonight. Oh, if anything. Uh, what time's your concert? Yeah, it starts at 7, and I've got my alarm set here for 25, so okay. I've got time. Okay, <laughs> all right, well, that's, that's cool. I appreciate you doing this on the way. The what do you play? <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, cool. Is it going to be fun? Kind of. Are you get nervous about it? Or? No, just... Half the choir doesn't participate very well, oh. so. So it's frustrating. Yeah. I understand. What grade are you in? Eight. You think by that age, that'll yeah. be responsible. I mean, the choir teacher doesn't cut very many people. Ah, okay. So they just use the time for socializing. Well, they've gone beyond the cooperative stage. You know, they have a certain point at which they're cooperating, and then they kind of bottom out. <laughs> the bottom out. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah, I can see that. All right, other comments and thoughts on 31. I really like this comparison. Me too. I think it's a, a really good visual. I agree. You know, you appreciate Ezekiel's, you know, constant use of visual images, and you know, the Lord teaches uh, in lots of. Uh, Helpful ways. Kind of emphasizes. Um, we went to some of us were at a um, Bible class teaching seminar. Oh yeah, Nancy <laughs> Tumble. Talked a lot. Yes, and she talked a lot about using visuals and talked about how the Bible uses them all the time, <laughs> and that we should draw on that example for teaching ourselves. Definitely, I mean, visual things and even the concept of a comparison. It's often a really helpful way to, to teach and to understand and to see impact. You just see it all over the Bible. Jesus did in the parables. We think about that, 
But all through the Old Testament, especially the prophets, they're constantly using parallels and, and, and visual things and, uh, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. Well, the whole New Testament relies on the Old Testament as its visual. <laughs> that's true, too. Yeah, very much so. That's a good, that's a good way to look at that. Other comments? All right, well, we've got this uh, sixth um, oracle here in chapter 32. And uh, so, how about uh, 30, 32, 1 to 10? And it came to pass in the twelfth year, and the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, You are like a young lion among the nations. And you are like a monster in the seas, bursting forth in your rivers, troubling the waters with your feet, and fouling their rivers. Thus says the Lord God, I will therefore spread my net over you with the company of many people, and they will draw you up in my net. Then I will leave you on the land, I will cast you out into the open fields, I will cause to settle on you all the birds of the heavens, and with you I will fill the beasts of the whole earth. I will lay your flesh on the mountains, and fill the valleys with your carcass. I will also water the land with the flow of your blood even to the mountains, and the riverbeds will be full of you. When I put out your light, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you, and bring, no, and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God. I will also trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries which you have not known. Yes, I will make many peoples astonished at you, and their king shall be horribly afraid of you when I brandish my sword before them. And they shall tremble every moment, every man for his own life in the day of your fall. Okay. So, you've got this lamentation over Pharaoh. And, um, Pharaoh himself saw himself as what kind of an animal? A young lion. Yes. A young lion, why that? To his strength and his power. Yeah, a lion lion in its prime. You know, a teenage lion. (laughs) Who's uh, frisky and you know very very confident? How does God see Pharaoh? Like a sea monster. Yes, maybe we should see this as we talked about earlier uh, in an earlier oracle as a crocodile. Um, you think about a lion. You know, you think about something that's regal, majestic. You know, a lion's not just fearsome. A lion carries itself with, with you know, poise and, and confidence. And a crocodile? <laughs> Someone has said that a crocodile is not exactly a fragrant reptile. <laughs> you know, crocodile's powerful, but crocodiles, you know, nobody wants to grow up to be a crocodile, you know. There's <laughs> nothing really, it's kind of yucky. I mean, reptiles in general are... are I don't know, is crocodile a reptile? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think it is. It's not a fish. Okay, so, I mean, <laughs> you know, are there are there reptiles that are really, uh, you know, heartwarming? <laughs> it depends on what you like. That's like a Komodo dragon, maybe, you know, yeah. but uh, even that would be stretching it. But generally speaking, we kind of are disgusted by them, more so than other animals. And uh, he has this monster in the seas, 
muddying the waters with his feet and fouling the rivers. You know, that that he's not, you know, he's just imagining to stir everything up and, and muddying the waters. So what was God going to do with this uh, crocodile? Yeah, spread the net over it along with all the other nations that were uh, attached to it and he was going to take the crocodile out of the water. I guess this is really true, I'm not sure, but I'm assuming that even in real the natural world, a crocodile after a certain period of time out of the water would die because of that, has to have the water. Is that right? Yeah. So I think the idea is he pulls the crocodile out of the water, leaves it on the land to die. Uh, but it's interesting um, how... Uh, how massive was this uh, crocodile carcass? Yeah, how big? Hold all the birds of heaven. Yeah. Satisfies the beasts of the whole earth. And furthermore, flesh lays on the mountains and fills the valleys. Yes, and furthermore, it's enough blood for the land to drink. Yeah. So I mean, this is a monstrous crocodile that's helplessly sprawled out on the land, dying and eventually dead. It had a huge body, big enough to be spread on the mountains and fill the valleys, and blood enough to water the land and the ravines, but God was going to turn the lights out on this crocodile. Uh, and, and, you know, the other peoples would learn the lesson. It'd be a, a, a case study, a warning for them. Uh, because if Egypt can fall, who can't? Comments and questions? I have the thought that the laying out of the beast over all the lands, you know, so big, would just indicate the, the influence that the beast had being far-reaching. As certainly, and also then it underscores the greatness of the Lord's judgments to be able to destroy a sea monster like that. So, yeah, I think so. Egypt did have a great deal of impact. It was a powerful nation. Weren't they, when Egypt was eventually brought down, weren't they like chased from Assyria all the way down to Egypt to chopped up along the way? Not that I know about. I'm trying to think how they, the nation was. Was the final battle in Egypt then? Well, we know Nebuchadnezzar invaded okay. Egypt and, and conquered Egypt, essentially. Okay. I don't know a lot of details of that, but I know that's true. Because they were up in Assyria fighting they, at some point. Okay, are you thinking about like when they went up to help the Assyrians try to fight off the Babylonians in the battle Possibly. of Carchemish, for yeah. example? Yeah, they were defeated, but I don't know that Nebuchadnezzar chased them. Okay. They, they, were, they returned home in defeat. But that was not the point at which Nebuchadnezzar invaded Egypt. It was later. Okay. Other comments and questions? Let's see if we can squeeze in 11 to 16. For thus says the Lord God, The sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. By the swords of the mighty warriors, all of them the most terrible of the nations, 
I will cause, cause your multitude to fall. They shall plunder the pomp of Egypt, and all its multitude shall be destroyed. I will also destroy all its animals from beside its great waters. The foot of man shall muddy them no more, nor shall the hooves of animals muddy them. Then I will make their waters clear and make their rivers run like oil, says the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt desolate and the country is destitute of all that once filled it, when I strike all who dwell in it, then they shall know that I am the Lord. This is the lamentation with which they shall lament her. The daughters of the, of the nations shall lament her. They shall lament for her, for Egypt, and for all her multitudes, says the Lord God. Okay. Uh, so, in clear terms, what was going to happen? the king of Babylon shall come upon you. Exactly. Babylon was going to come in with the sword and cause the great pride and the great hordes of Egypt to fall. Uh, all this magnificent magnificence and, and, and might would be nothing before God using the Babylonian sword. And... Uh, now there's not going to be anything to muddy the waters. The waters will settle down and run like oil. You know, because there won't be any hooves of animals, there won't be any feet, there won't be any crocodile to, to, to disturb the waters. Um, you know, you like to think about a placid river or whatever, placid water, it's still and calm, but in this case it's a bad sign. Because it's an indication there's nothing there to, uh, to uh, trouble the waters. And so that's what God is going to do to, to Egypt. Um, comments and thoughts on, on this. For some reason, that makes me think of in Amos where he says, I'm going to give you cleanness of teeth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Perhaps it's uh, worth mentioning a passage like Psalm 118, verse 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. No prince, I don't care if it's Pharaoh, is able to do nearly as much as the Lord. Trust in him. That's what Ezekiel wanted the exiles to see and understand. You know, he was writing to, to those, uh, talking to those who, who had, along with him, been been. Uh, delivered into captivity, and he wanted them to see that no use trying to trust in Egypt, trust in the Lord. And he spends now the sixth of seven oracles to get that point across. Comments and questions? This oracle, the sixth oracle, um, it was... When was it before or after? It was about two months, about two months after the news of Jerusalem's fall had reached the exiles. How much longer after Jerusalem did Ezekiel prophesy? A good while, because he at least prophesied down to twenty nine seventeen, which is in the twenty seventh year. So that would have been about sixteen years after Jerusalem fell, something like that. So at least down to that. Anything else? Alright, why don't we uh, stop here and actually I don't think I'll be back this year. 
And I sort of assume that the New Year's Day may not be a good day. I don't know. I don't know what. Oh, yeah, you're going to be gone. Yeah. So let's make it the 8th of January. We'll study Hebrews before we get to this. That's true. We'll try to do Hebrews on Saturday after the singing. Uh, January, whatever day that is. Sixth? Or what? Nine or whatever. Yeah, I don't really know how long. 